All right, last last week, um, a couple weeks ago, so many of us went to um, Colorado, and this past weekend, we just went to a conference um, in Pasadena, and um, I heard some pretty cool testimonies this morning um, from those who stayed for the Sean Bowles um, message. I heard he did his, his word of knowledge thing, and he called people out and uh, gave them some pretty glorious words of knowledge. Um, I... I'm I'm just burdening my spirit. We get we get so comfortable um, with church, and you know we were singing these songs today. God, we want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. But can I say something? Most people really don't mean that. Most people really don't mean that. What they want is they want some things from God, but they don't really want Him. Because when God really shows up, he's different than we are. He's not like we want him to be. There are aspects of him that are perfect, that we love, and we want to see those aspects. But there are aspects of God that I think are different for all of us, that are foreign for all of us. And when he shows up like that, we tend to go, mm, not really interested in that part of you, God. I want this other part but I don't want this part. And if I could be blunt and honest, I see that all the time. And in fact, God had to challenge me in my own spirit. And I say, Dennis, you're praying for revival all the time, but just take a second and really think about it. Do you really want revival? And God challenged my heart. And I was forced to confront the fact that when we read about historic revivals, a lot of weird stuff happens. It's weird. It's not as clean as we would like it to be. If you read the, the actual firsthand testimonies from every revival that's out there, you will hear about a lot of weird stuff going on. There was a fierce criticism of every single revival because stuff was different. And I want us to take a look at the very first revival here in Acts chapter 2. I hope you found it. It says this in verse one it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they had heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Everyone say bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, excuse me, Pamphylia. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Let's pause right there. Brothers and sisters, when God moves, it's usually not in the way that we picture it. It's usually a bit different. 
And almost always, there's a part of our hearts that has to be to wrestle with the reality of God being God. Let me put it to you another way. A lot of people, when they come to church, they don't want God to show up. They want a nice moral lesson that they already agree with. And they want to be able to go, that was, that was good. That made me feel good about what I already know. Right? What most people are looking for from church is really not God to show up and do something that he wants to do. They want God to do something that they want him to do. Let me put it to you another way. As a parent, I struggle with how do I love and disciple my children. Because you see, my children have desires and expectations of me as a parent. There are some ways that they love me as a parent, right? They say, Dad, you're the best dad. You know how I can always get that response? If I give them ice cream. I tell you, when I give them ice cream, all of a sudden the affirmations just start overflowing, right? Dude is like, you're the best dad ever, right? Just one scoop of ice cream, right? And if I say, Judah, we're going to go out and we're going to play today, buddy, then what happens is I get this incredible, you're the best dad ever, dad, right? Now the problem is, if I just give them those things, you know what the reality is? I'm a terrible dad. That's the reality. If I just give them the things that they want me to give them, if I just say the things they want me to say, I'm a terrible dad. The reality is that I can't just give them this. There's a whole realm of stuff that I have to teach them, that I have to discipline them with, that I have to do all this kind of stuff that they don't like. A lot of parenting is me doing things to them and teaching them things that they don't want me to teach them. And that's the reality. And if I don't do that, then what happens is they grow up in a way that is bad. They grow up to be people that are immature. They grow up to be people that are unhappy. Why? Because they have to be disciplined by things that are important for them that they don't see how important it is right now. And guess what? I tell you, they don't like a lot of those things. I sit down with my kids sometimes. We do Bible studies together, right? They don't understand the depth. I preached, by the way, for Sunland this morning. Sunland is our, you know, what is it, pre, what, they're all like below like five years old, right? You know? And just being real, I've preached there, you know, once before, and my thought is, is th does this do anything, you know? Like, like, I don't know, right? But the, the reality is, like, I could just tell them a funny story, right? I could tell them a funny story. And I was trying to tell them about, you know, this, this lesson in the Bible. And the first service, I made the mistake of actually just reading the whole scriptures, like the text, right? And, like, by the second line of the Bible, like, they're all, like, kids are running around. They're, like... You know, it's gone, right? Why? Because they, they don't understand why it's important, right? They don't understand why these things are important. And because of that, their attention spans are super loose and, and, they're, and they're everywhere, right? Now, that's understandable. They're children, okay? But in the same way, I want to say this. If we're really growing in God, we should be giving a steady dose of stuff that's different than our expectations of who God is. 
if we're really growing God, if we really want to know him as he is, then we should be regularly surprised with who he is. Let me put it to you another way. I think in my experiences, if you're really walking with God, you should have times where he disappoints you. I think that's healthy. I think there's a problem when God never disappoints you. Because that means you never had an expectation of him that was false. Hear me, when I say that God disappoints you, that doesn't mean that he disappoints our hope. It means that our expectations are wrong. In fact, in my experience, if you're really walking with God, you have to encounter times of real disappointment. Because it's a test. It tests you, is your faith really in him? Or is your faith in how you expected him to act and to move? Because here's the truth, God is different from us. He's not like us. Guess what? I bet Peter wasn't waiting in the upper room being like, I'll tell you guys what's going to happen, right? In a couple days now, the Holy Spirit is going to come on us and we're going to start yelling gibberish, right? We're going to start yelling gibberish and then it's like our heads are going to be on fire, And people are going to come around and start making fun of us. That sounds awesome, Peter. Let's pray. Right? I bet that's not what it was like. I bet that wasn't what they were expecting. But that's how God showed up. And what you have is you have a crowd of people, and it says that they're bewildered. They don't understand what's happening. What the heck is going on here, this is weird. And then you have this other group of people and where they're openly mocking them, right? They're openly making fun of them. They're saying, these guys are drunk, they're crazy, these crazy Jesus followers. And I'll tell you, that's pretty much what happens. That's pretty much what happens. When God moves, the majority of people are bewildered, and then you have the mockers who come out of nowhere, I want to lovingly challenge you today, if you're going to follow God, it's not easy. It's not easy. There has to be something in you that is willing to go, God, I give you permission to be God. I give you permission to be different from my expectations of you. I give you permission to do what you want to do. And I say, God, I want a real relationship. I want the real thing. Some of us are content to go to a church where God never shows up ever. Some of us are content to have quiet times or devotional times where God never shows up ever. And you're content with that for like a week tops, right? And then you just don't do them anymore. Many of us are content to not have God in our lives because having God in our lives in a real way requires that we become comfortable with the uncomfortable. His ways are not like our ways. One of the greatest revivals in history, by the way, it might be the greatest revival in history, was the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s. Happened right over here, some 20, 30 miles from here. One-eyed black man would sit in a box, and he would just be up here doing this and praying, and people would be having the wildest times. 
And he, there was, there's these testimonies, there's these stories. And this guy named was William Seymour, and he would tell these stories about how people would come because they heard about this, this crazy thing that's going on, right? And they would, they would come, and they would always be full of judgment. And they'd, be, they'd come into the room to see, like, how crazy these people were. And they'd be like, these people are crazy. And he says they would start off mocking. They would start off, like, feeling, like, superior. They would start off bewildered. And he said that, but as the night went on, their attitude would just start to change. And then they would go down to their knees. And then they would start weeping. And they would just weep for hours and hours. Right? What happened was there was a group of, of like psychics or fortune tellers or something that started to get up and started to do stuff at these meetings because William Seymour, he didn't know what to do. It was just God doing stuff. So he was just sitting in his box and pray during these meetings. So other people would come up and do stuff, and sometimes they would teach the craziest things. And people who were there, critics, would be like, look at these people. They let psychics teach in those meetings. It's clearly not from God. But I'll tell you what happened. People from all over the world came to these meetings. They got impacted by them. Their lives got completely radically transformed. They went home, and the same kind of stuff started to happen everywhere they went, right? What we saw is in the last century, in Latin America alone, Central and South America, the Pentecostal revival has brought something like 250 million people, right? There's been an incredible movement just in Latin America over the past, like, 30, 40 years. It's all stemming from what happened here in Pasadena. It was not a movement like people would design it. It didn't happen the way that people wanted it to happen, but God does what he wants to do. Let me put it to you another way. When Jesus came, he didn't fulfill the expectations of a lot of people. A lot of people were not looking for a carpenter from Nazareth. And a lot of people were offended. Who the heck does this guy think he is? He's claiming to be God. That stumbled a lot of people. And a lot of people didn't like God as he came. And so he became a stumbling block to them. Church, why am I saying this to you? Because my heart and my ambition is this. Oh, I pray that there would be a holy discontent with having a form of godliness that never has the power, that never experiences the power. Okay? You are not to be content with a Christianity where God never shows up in your life. You're not to be content. I'm not saying you should be, you know, mad and frustrated and screaming at God in anger. Okay, no, no that, that's, the, that's the bad way to do that, okay? The right way is to go, God, whatever it takes, I'm desperate to go after you. Whatever it takes, and if you position your heart correctly, God starts giving you convictions. You start to feel like, I got to go wherever I need to go to meet with God and to encounter him and to see him move in a great way. You start feeling the sense of, there's something else that I can do. You start to call fasts for yourself. You start to go, God, I need you to speak in my dreams. Whatever it is, God, I need you to speak through the scriptures. Let me put this in another way. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. One of my favorite verses in scripture. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I'm just going to be blunt. 
I see almost nobody doing this one. Okay. Now, I, I, let me put it. I do see some people doing this. But I see an entire field of Christianity that pays lip service to the Bible and openly rejects that command. I see an entire part of the body that goes, well, that's not for today. Now, those people who say that's not for today, I have a little more sympathy for them. Because they've created this entire hermeneutic, this entire, you know, theology that says we're not supposed to want that. I actually feel a little more compassion in my heart for those guys, right? Because it's like, well, it makes sense in their mind. In their mind, they are really trying to follow God in the way that they, they know how. But there's an entire group of people that are like, yes, we're supposed to do this. Okay, great. How have you eagerly desired the gifts, especially the prophesy? Oh, I don't know, you know. I just hope one day, you know, one day God does something. You know. Or they have this mentality, oh, well, you know, we should actually be really careful about that. They push back. Well, you sound too eager. Right? You sound too eager. I think we need to be careful with all that kind of stuff. Funny, because that is not what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that we are to eagerly desire them. They were to seek after them. They were to go after them. And it gives a whole rationale as to why. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why? Because he edifies the body. He builds up the body, the one who prophesies. What's my point? Brothers and sisters, I think you are supposed to be prophesying. Not tomorrow. I think you're supposed to be prophesying today. I think we're not supposed to have to go to the Vox conference to see Sean Bowles do it and be like, man, I wish... I wish I could see that a little more. No, I think we're supposed to be longing to see that today in our own lives. Are they living with the tension of that is healthy? Being like, God, I know I'm called to be here, but I'm right here. But God, I want to be here, and I'm pursuing it. I'm going after it. That is a healthy tension. You know what's not healthy? God, you say I'm supposed to be here, but that's impossible. So I'm not even going to really go after it. That is an unhealthy tension. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge us today. I don't want us to have the mentality of one day, maybe, God might move, and that will be great. No, I want us to have a heart saying, God, I want you to move in my life. Even if there's not a general revival, God, I want you to move. I want there to be revival in my personal life. And guess what, God, if... It's not like I would expect it. Whatever you want to do, God. The reality is that if we're going hard after God, we will be forced to go in places that are uncomfortable for us. Okay, In the same way that this crowd was met with an uncomfortable thing to see. They didn't, none of them wanted to see a bunch of people speaking gibberish. Right? But they saw it, and because they saw it, because of the faith of those who stayed in the upper room and prayed for the blessing, these people were able to see a miracle. It wasn't their faith that released the miracle. It was the faith of those who persisted in the place of prayer. When it seemed like all hope was dead, when it seemed like the Savior, the one that was to fulfill all their hopes, had left them, and now they're on their own. But he said, wait here and pray until power comes from on high. Hear me, I give you the same command. Tarry in prayer until the power comes in our generation. Do you understand? It's the same thing. 
tarry in prayer until the power comes because God is getting ready to release a great revival in the earth. And I say that those who have labored in prayer will partake. I say that those who have not are in danger of missing out on what God's doing. They'll hear stories about this weird movement of crazy, charismatic Christians who are doing weird things in other parts of the world, and they'll brush it off. Do you hear what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, if we want to be part of what God's doing, we have to embrace what he's saying to do, and we have to see with eyes of faith. And I challenge it right now in the name of Jesus that you would be shaken to say, I am not okay with a practice of Christianity that stands in contrast to the Scriptures. Hear me, there's a lot of great Bible teachers out there who have lots of wisdom in other areas. But I say this, any Bible teacher who says that we should not eagerly desire spiritual gifts and to pursue them hard, I say that that wisdom is not from God. No, I think we need to obey the scriptures and say, God, if you say this is important, then I'm going to go after it with all my heart. The way I put it, and I'm going to put it in our Ignite meeting next week, is that spiritual gifts are the tools that God gives us to accomplish his mission. Let me ask you, how the heck are you going to obey God's commands without the tools that he gave you to obey them? How are you going to do that? I liken it to building a house. And God's saying, go build a house. And you're like, yes, Lord. And you're out there trying to karate chop some tree limbs. You're trying to saw the trunk with your hand. And you're like, this doesn't work. So what do you do? You start minimizing your expectations, right? Well, we can't disciple nations. So now I'll just try and disciple that one guy, right? Now, look, if your faith is for the one guy, praise God, just start with that, okay? I don't want to put that faith out, okay? Start there, okay? But I'm saying the church needs needs the faith to understand that we're called to disciple nations, which means that we require supernatural power. We must have the vision for supernatural power, and it can't be, oh yeah, those guys are supposed to have the power. I'm supposed to be the dude that carries the music cables. That's my job in the kingdom. No, 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 no. Look, that's all of our jobs. Okay, all of us carry music cables. All right? All of us do the servant labor that's required, okay? Hey, there ain't no such thing as those are people who do the, you know, who do the, the menial tasks, and then I do the glorious tasks. Come on, man. No, we all do the menial tasks, okay? And we all do the glorious tasks. We do different glorious tasks. We specialize in different glorious tasks. But there's got to be something that rises up and takes the seed that's given to us and waters it and nurtures it and causes it to grow. What am I saying? I'm saying that Paul told Timothy, fan into flame the gift that is inside of you. Don't let it lie there dormant and unused. Don't let the gift languish inside your spirit being unused because you never had the faith to draw it out. See, this is the battle for us today. How do we have faith for something that very few people have faith for in our culture? How do we have faith for it? Well, I'll tell you, it starts by repentance. By saying, God, I believe, help my unbelief. 
The hardness of heart will make, will make you reject it and say, no, I don't want that. I don't need that. And look, modern-day cessationism, the belief that the gifts are not for today, the, the underlying conviction is that we don't need the gifts anymore. Okay? We don't need the power of God like that. And I just want to stand here and say that is about as unbiblical as you can get. Okay? That is about as unbiblical as you can get. Because everything in the Scripture says that you need them. Okay, you need them. Paul makes the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we're all gifted in a variety of ways. And because we're gifted in a variety of ways, we need one another. So the whole idea that I don't need gifts at all, boy, you are really missing it, dude. No, Paul says you need the gifts. And because some of them are in other people, you need them too. He makes the point that we need one another because we all play different roles. We're like a body, right? The eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you because then the eye would be stuck. Can't walk around anywhere, right? Brothers and sisters, in the same way, I say this as your pastor, you must grow into maturity. You must grow into maturity. Nobody can force you into maturity. There must be a faith that rises in you and says, God, I must grow. I must utilize it. Now hear me. I think one of the things that keeps many people in our culture from being able to develop in their gifts is that they do not believe that they are gifted. They do not believe that God has given them something that immensely valuable because it feels presumptuous. Right? The great sin in our culture is the sin of presumption. Right? Who's got a prophetic word? Right? Justin comes up, right, and ten people in the back are liar, right? Ten people in the back are, dude, he's not that holy, right? Ten people in the back are like, like, yeah, who does he think he is? Right? I'll tell you who he thinks he is, right? He thinks he's somebody that God can use, right? The judgment that we have towards others to, is the very thing that keeps us in immaturity, right? With the judgment we use, it gets used against us as well. If we don't give others the freedom to be passionate in the pursuit to believe that God can use them in great ways, then we'll never be able to have the faith for ourselves that God can use us. What am I saying? I'm saying there's got to be something that applauds those who step out. Can I tell you somebody who is amazing at this? Our brother Jonathan Kim is not here today. I want to tell you, that guy has a bold faith. That guy... He wants to be on this microphone all the time. <laughs> Me and my wife, we joke about it, right? Like he loves that microphone. But I'll tell you, there is this boldness in him where he's just like, even if I'm wrong, <laughs> you know, I'm going to let it out. There's something so commendable about that. right? There's something so commendable about that. That in our culture, why? We err in the opposite direction. You might have a word boiling inside of you, but unless I literally pick you up and force you on the mic, you're just going to leave it inside of you. Ain't, gonna, ain't nobody going to hear that word. I want to say this, the timidity in our culture kills our ability to grow into maturity. I'll say this, you have incredible access. You have unprecedented resources in your life. YouTube alone. I say this all the time, YouTube alone is like the greatest resource of the ages. You can literally learn to do anything. When I was a kid, I had to get somebody to teach me to play guitar. If I didn't have that, I could not learn. All of you can learn to play guitar from YouTube. There ain't no hindrance. And 
that's just one thing. The reality is you can learn many, many, many things on YouTube if you're not too busy watching Minecraft videos. The resources are there. The problem is that there's so many things vying for your affection and for your attention. Today we were to go into a, a series on, on growing in wisdom, but I want to say this. This is the heart of it, right? If you long for it like treasure, then you'll get it. If you, if you yearn for wisdom like you do for riches, for gold, and for silver, then God will lead you to it. If you don't, then the wisdom of the ages is within your grasp and you miss it. See, that's the, that, this is the, the aspect of the kingdom that's uncomfortable. Here, here's what I want to tell you. There's this principle in the kingdom that they're, they're, we're responsible to the opportunity that we have. Jesus said this. He went up on the cliffs over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. As a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. And then he goes on to pronounce judgment over Jerusalem. Why? Because they missed their opportunity. They had an opportunity for great blessing. And because they missed it, now they receive great judgment. In God's economy, that's how it works. To the degree that you have an opportunity to meet with God, you become responsible to that opportunity. Paul goes to Athens he says, in times past, the God of heaven let all the peoples go their own ways. But now, the God of heaven has commanded that all men everywhere repent. Why? Because I'm here. He sent me to give the revelation of God to you. All of a sudden, the people in Athens become responsible to the opportunity that they have because the gospel has been preached with power in their generation. Am I making sense? It matters. We're responsible to the opportunity that we have. And here's what we don't understand. In our age, our opportunity is somewhat unprecedented. Because all of us have access now to incredible storehouses of wisdom. There's no excuse. The problem now is not finding books. It's There's too many books. You just don't know which ones to read. Brothers and sisters, I want to say there's an incredible opportunity in this generation to take hold of God's purposes. I want to say do it. Don't be satisfied with a Christianity that's just ethics and morality. Let me put it to you this way. Don't be satisfied with a faith that is content to have to believe in God, to come to church. On Monday, your faith is like half of what it was on Tuesday, it's gone, and you're waiting for Sunday again, and you're struggling for the till the next Sunday. I want to say, don't be content with that kind of faith. Make the admission that your faith is immature. Make the admission, God, I need you to radically transform my faith. Make the confession. I need help to overcome this. Because then what God can do is he can start to work on you, start to open your eyes, give you wisdom, start to give you the grace to study the scriptures in a serious way. I say this all the time, but the scriptures are a locked treasure. It is locked. The wisdom of God is hidden in a book that is at first appearance very boring and hard to understand. And it's, by, it's like that by design. 
to test our hearts and to see if we really do desire wisdom. Brothers and sisters, my desire here today is I want to challenge you to embrace the things of God, to not jump, to not jump into something that is the same as you've experienced in seasons past, but to allow yourself to have experiences that are uncomfortable with God. And not only that, but you have to run to those experiences. That's why, look, can I tell you, there's so many conferences going around. <laughs> we, we just had two. We have our Ignite conference next week, right? There's another conference that's coming up a little bit later. But I tell you, that's th- those are four conferences out of like hundreds, right, that are going on all across the United States in just our region. There are so many opportunities to encounter God. Now, here's the thing. You can go to every single one of those conferences and have no encounters with God. It has much more to do with the posture of your heart than it does with you just going places. But I'll say this. If the posture of your heart is hungry, then God can speak to you almost out of anything. Right? I want to challenge you. Don't waste your summer. This is the word that God gave us right at the beginning of summer. Don't waste it. How many more weeks do we have left until school? Three? Two? Four? Can I tell you? Those weeks are a treasure. It's a treasure. It's not valuable because you can watch the entire, you know, season of some stupid TV show. No, if you're struggling with that, fast it. Come on, the rest of summer. Just fast it. It's so simple. But I, I don't know what to do, Pastor. It's fast. Right? It's so simple. Or, look, you can fast it or you can just cancel. And I say that because that's exactly what the Lord told me to do. I literally lived without personal video games for six years of my life. I lived without internet for two years. Oh, but I can't do that. Then you can't grow. Oh, I'm sorry. You wanted the easy version of Christianity. Wrong church, buddy. Wrong church. You want the real version of Christianity? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Oh, but, you know, there's no cross these days, you know. You know. Oh, I'll help you find a cross. We can talk a little bit. I will help find you a cross that's perfectly fit for your life. In every season of our lives, we must take up the cross that God offers to us. He doesn't force the cross on us. He offers a cross in every season, right? And the cross is the way that we find resurrection life. You have to go to the cross to experience the life. Everybody wants the life. Pastor says, how come I don't move with that kind of power? Well, where's the cross? I'd say every single person that I know that walks in great authority and great maturity has incredible stories of what it costs them. Like everybody, like, oh, God just doesn't do that. No, he will do that for you if you will take up the same kind of cross. That's how this works. It's really simple. You say, God, I want the power. God says, how much do you want the power? And this is me saying, oh, that we would long for the power. Oh, that we long for it. And I want to challenge that thing inside of you that says, no, I don't really need that power. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need that power. Even if you have no vision for helping other people, you need it for your own life. 
You need to overcome your own fears, your own insecurities, your own destructive tendencies. You need it for when you get married and you have to deal with the realities of intimacy in your life. You need it to deal with the hardships in your family. You need the power of God in your life. You need the wisdom that comes from above, but I say that's just the beginning. Because you need it for yourself. But the reality is there's a broken world that needs you to rise into your calling. That's what Romans 8 is about. The earth is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed in its fullness. That's you. The earth is waiting for the church to arise in its maturity to be the bride of Christ equally yoked to Jesus and to display what is possible for a surrendered people. That's what the earth is longing for. And brothers and sisters, I just want to say this. We have an unprecedented opportunity. We have an unprecedented opportunity in this generation. Every generation has to understand that it's called to surpass the previous generation. I look at heroes of faith today, and I go, God, oh, I just pray that I could just get somewhere close to that. That would be so amazing, right? But the reality is that the calling is to surpass the maturity of the previous generation, right? We have to look at people like Sean Bowles and be like, God, let me surpass that, Lord, right? We have to look at these people who are seeing entire cities come to the Lord. We listen to Brian Barcelona. I remember I got stirred watching videos of Brian Barcelona going on high school campuses. He's doing assemblies at high schools. And I remember I saw a video where every single person in the auditorium came up to receive Jesus. I was like, I ain't never seen nothing like that. In an American high school in Los Angeles? Like what planet are we living on right now? But it challenged me in my spirit. Am I making sense? Brothers and sisters, you need to dream the same dreams. You need to kill off your weak dreams. I'm telling you, some of you guys got some weak dreams. Just admit it, right? I just want to make have a nice job and, you know, get a girlfriend and, you know. Man, what kind of a weak dream is that? No, look, it's true because if your dreams are only take into account what you can do in your own strength, you're completely missing out on God's call for your life. For you to be able to start to access the things of the kingdom, you have to start dreaming his dreams for your life. And guess what? They're always going to be bigger than what you can do in your own strength. That's the nature of how this works. And guess what? You dream those dreams in this season of your life. It's not like, oh, next season, I got the fullness of it. Yeah, right. You dream God's dreams, his real dreams for your life, and you're persisting through season after season of getting closer and closer, seeing more of it and more of it fulfilled. I want to say, you cannot outdream God. You can't. The size of your dreams are all small compared to God's dream for your life. And hear me, I'm not talking about fanciful thinking. Like all of us can like, Oh, yeah, I see myself, and I'm waving my hand, and billions of people are getting saved. I'm not talking about fanciful thinking. I'm talking about a real dream that enters my heart in such a way that it stirs up a deep longing for it, right? I've had those dreams in my life. And I tell you, those are the ones that, that, that steer your life's course, right? And when you start getting those, and you start breathing, and you start to seek them, Understanding that the dreams of God are like promises spoken to our hearts. 
right? The dreams of God are like promises spoken to our hearts, and when we hold on to them, what happens is they become like a lighthouse in the distance, and we know which way we're supposed to go. They illuminate our path. That's why the psalmist says, your word, O God, is like a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The promises, the things that you've spoken to me. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, come with me and I'll show you, I'll take you to a land you do not know. It's kind of an arbitrary dream. It's like, what? <laughs> but then God starts, he starts dropping these hints, right? I'll make you into a nation, right? Greater than the sand of the seashore. Abraham, look up in the sky. How many stars are there? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, way too many. He's like, so will your descendants be. I think it's easy for us to not understand some of these dreams because we're like, who cares? <laughs> Lots of descendants, right? We have to understand Abraham lived in a world that was so dangerous compared to our world. And he had no progeny. He had no child of his own. For him, that seemed impossible, but so something deep inside his heart longed that it would be true. And, it, and do you understand that that dream of Abraham's has, has now come true in a way that's far greater than anyone imagined? Do you understand that the three great monotheistic religions all hold Abraham as their spiritual father? Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. They all see Abraham, right, as the spiritual father of the movement. And guess what? In the age to come, Abraham will have a great position as a father of many, many nations. It's not just, you know, the Jews that are alive today. No, no, no. God was giving him an eternal promise, right? And his promise was real. It wasn't figurative. I really think the number of stars, that's how many descendants Abraham's going to have. Right? Brothers and sisters, I tell you in the same way. God utilizes your small dreams. He speaks to your small dreams to give you a glimpse of what's actually an eternal calling and dream that he has, that he wants you to be part of. Right? But that's why everything I talk about is so weird. <laughs> right? Because you have to see it by faith. If I just tell you, look, God wants you to have a happy marriage. That's absolutely true. But you know what? Lots of people can have happy marriages. Look, I want, look, there's a part of your heart that longs for that. Some of you, you will just want that intimacy and that closeness. And I say, look, that is part of God's design. That's part of his dream for you. But that is just the first part. Do you understand the age to come, we won't have spouses? Why? Because we'll have a much greater degree of intimacy with everyone than we can imagine in this age. Do you understand the dreams of intimacy that we have in this age are so small? compared to what God wants to give us in the age to come. Right? I want to encourage you. You need to start thinking like God thinks. You need to start seeing the future like God sees the future. You need to start allowing God to do whatever he wants to do with your heart. And the way you do that is you take hold of the hopes that God is putting in your heart. And you say, God... I'm holding on to this like a promise. Because guess what? You're going to pursue that in God or out of God. Do you understand? Most, most people are being driven by desires they don't even understand. They're killing themselves trying to please people. They don't even know why they want to please them. 
are people that struggle with all sorts of fears and issues. They have no idea the inner things that are driving them, but they've been fooled into believing that they're going to get it by pleasing their professor or their boss or their parent or their boyfriend or whatever it might be. I want to say they're being, they're being led in their ignorance of their hearts. They don't understand the things that drive them. I tell you right now, oh, that you would allow God to examine your heart. You would say, God, search me and know me. See my anxious thoughts, God. You're not saying that because you, like God really wants it. He does. But you're saying it because you need God to examine your heart and examine your life because he has the key to your heart. He has the key to your life. But it's the ones who say, God, I do believe that you can lead me there. Even though your way is different, even though your way is weird, even though I have to do things that seem very foreign to me, God, I have this faith inside of me that you have the answer. That's what Peter said when all the people left Jesus. And Jesus said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, you have the keys to eternal life, right? You hold the words to eternal life. Where else can I go? What was he saying? He's saying, look, Jesus, I have no idea what to do, but I know enough of you that I know that you're the one with all the answers. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you in your life right now. Oh, that you would say, God, you're the one who has all the answers. You hear me? That doesn't mean faithful attendance at church. I need to drop kick that a couple more times. Faithful attendance at church is just the beginning. I mean, it's just a small part, and it, it manifests. It reveals something in our hearts, so it's a good thing for almost, you know, almost everybody. But I tell you that you can go to church every day of your life and not enter into a dynamic relationship with him. No, enter into a dynamic relationship means, God, examine me, God. See my wayward ways. See everything inside of me and command me and lead me, God. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. God, I've got to know your ways because your ways are different. Your ways are mysterious and they're different. But, God, I've got to learn to walk in your ways. And God says the righteous do not walk by sight but by faith. What does that mean? That means they're not making important decisions in their lives based on the things that they know. Oh, yeah, USC, they got a really great program and, you know, and education. <laughs> Sorry for education people, right? Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then I could go to grad school and then I could, you know what that is? That's walking by sight, right? That's walking by sight. Oh, and then I could go and, you know, get that internship and then, oh, and then, you know, do this and do that. Now, hear me, I'm not trying to bag anybody who's doing that because there is a wisdom to that. But I'm saying that cannot be the controlling dynamic of your life, right? We make our plans in pencil, I always say that, because when the voice comes and speaks to us, he interrupts our plans and takes us another way. Everyone that I know that walks in dynamic faith has God interrupt their lives and take them in directions that they did not expect to go in. When I was 22, 23, God spoke to me and said, Dennis, quit your job, move up and plant a church. I was like, what? I don't want to plant a church. But she's happy I planted a church. Right. But hear me, everyone that I know that walks in dynamic faith, right, they all have stories of how God interrupted their plans. 
That's why I say, look, make plans. That's a healthy, that's a good thing, okay? But make them in pencil and with the hope and expectation that God is going to move in your life in such a way that it demands that the trajectory of your life radically shift and change. Because, look, I make my plans based off of what I have and what I'm doing in a particular season. If I could raise people from the dead left and right, I wouldn't be here. Right? Our plans shift according to our faith. Right? When we go to new levels of faith, often God starts to change the plan in our lives. Right? We should not have a vision of the future that's just like, oh, I'm just going to work. I'm going to get you know, a job and 2.3 kids, and then I'm going to die. Right? That is not the vision of life we should have. The vision of life should be, God, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue you with all my heart. I'm going to grow. You're going to help me overcome these various fears in my life. God, you're burdening my heart for these gifts. Father, you're burdening my heart for these people. And I'm going to be faithful to that calling. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to step out in faith. Mike Bickle got started in ministry because the Lord told him, do, a, do some kind of Bible study. I forget if it was in high school or college. Just like, do a Bible study. So he just started his own Bible study. Nobody told him to. The Holy Spirit told him to. Right? Brothers and sisters, mm, I pray that God would tell you to do things that I did not tell you to do. I pray that God would tell you to do stuff that human leaders aren't telling you to do. Now here, I'm not telling, I'm not saying be rebellious to human leaders. I'm just saying, if God's really leading your life, he starts telling you to do stuff that you don't get from other sources, right? And I want to challenge you. I'll challenge you with it. I challenge you not to live a normal life. I challenge you. I challenge you not to just be successful by human standards. I'm not impressed by that. God's not impressed by that. You know what God's impressed by? Faith. When he sees dynamic faith, he's impressed. Think about that for just a second. You can impress God by your faith. We get these stories in the scriptures, just a couple of them, where Jesus is awestruck by somebody's faith. Think about that for a second. That is amazing, right? We can blow God away with our faith. That excites me. You know what doesn't impress God? Things that impress people. Like he's not impressed, right? If you come up here and you just rip the craziest solo ever, right? Jimmy and I will be impressed, okay? <laughs> but those things don't impress God. What impresses him are simple but powerful statements of faith, right? When the centurion goes, I know you don't even need to come into my house. I know if you just say the word, right? I think Jesus was impressed by the, by the woman, right, who forces her way through the crowd. Now think about this woman. That's kind of jacked up, right? She's probably one of those. She probably, like, shoved you. Like, you're trying to see Jesus. She's like, ugh. Right? Right? This woman's forcing her way through the crowd, Right? The question is, why the heck did she do that? Where did she get that crazy idea that if she just touches Jesus, she'll be healed? See, people without faith, they don't understand. They're like, 
I'll tell you why. The Spirit spoke to her. The Spirit of God spoke to her and said, if you touch him, you'll be healed. Because she responded to the obedience of the Spirit speaking to her and was willing to do what it took, which meant pushing people out of the way. Because she was willing to do that, it demonstrated great faith in the voice that she heard. Do you understand? See, we want, people always ask me, how do you know if it's God? Well, I can give you principles, but that's like, well, you don't know if it's God. You just got to try sometimes. How did Zacchaeus know to go up in the tree? Let me put you if that wasn't God, he would look really stupid. Short guy climbing a tree, right? Very undignified. But there was something that came into his spirit. And understand, that's what Jesus saw. That's why he says, I only do that which I see my Father in heaven doing. What's he talking about? My Father is speaking to people. And when I see them act in faith, I know that my Father is doing something inside of them. Right? In the same way, if our lives just look like a routine of stuff that we're doing, we're doing the same stuff every week. We're not exemplifying a dynamic faith in our life. Now hear me, some routine is good, good habits are good. But I am saying that if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to require that you listen to the voice of the Spirit in your life and you respond in obedience in the moment of testing. How do you know that that's the moment of testing? There's, you're, trying, you're thinking about a rational sense. I can't give you a rational, you know, oh, when you see a blue cloud, that's when you know it's the Spirit. No! It's when it's really God speaking to you. You better obey. Does this make sense? And it's the longing of our hearts that helps us recognize the voice of the Spirit in our lives. It's the longing of our hearts. So I say this right now, church. Let's arise in this generation. Let's arise in this generation. Let's arise in this generation. Let's be the ones that take hold of God's purposes in this generation. Hear me. Some of you who have felt like you're always in the back, I want to declare that God is moving you up to the front in this season. I've felt for months now there is a thing specifically on women where God is raising up women to be leaders in this coming generation. I feel like there's been a word that's been out there, but it is, I've been feeling it myself. I want to call you to say, I'm not going to let people look down on me because I am young or because I am a woman. Hear me, you don't need positional authority to be a dynamic mover in the kingdom. When I was the backup acoustic guitar player on my worship team, most useless position ever, I determined in my heart that I was going to have an impact on that worship team. Right? I was going to draw the presence of the Lord with my anointing alone. I'll tell you, man, there was fruit from that season of ministry. There was fruit from it. Don't worry about the position. Don't worry about the title. Worry about the anointing and the power. Let me put you another way. You start raising dead people, I will make you a leader in BTM. But it's hard in our generation. It's so hard, right? Because we have all these crazy rational people who are content with being 
respectable in the eyes of others. And we have those who will mock those and make fun of them who have dynamic faith and are willing to do crazy things for God. I say this, you need to have a spirit where you reject that stuff. You have to force and reject that stuff. That spirit of intimidation will keep you from your destiny. People don't understand. I, was, I, I shared at sunlight about David and Michael. You know David's dancing before the Lord and his clothes are coming off? Michael comes with that spirit of Jezebel, right? It says how the king has distinguished himself in the eyes of Israel today, right? She hammers into him. She tries to intimidate him, right, with that spirit. I love David's response, right? It says, I was dancing before the Lord, right, who made me king instead of your dad and your family. Mmm, hammer that thing. He said, and I will be even more undignified than this, but in the eyes of these serving girls, I will be honored. I love that response. He's saying, I don't need any of your Jezebel junk, right? I don't respect you enough for you to speak to me like that, right? And there's got to be that same spirit that rises in us, and when we receive the mocking, when we receive the criticism, where we just go, I don't care about your sorry opinion, You know what that is? It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord makes us impervious to the intimidation or the embarrassment from people. We're not afraid of those things when our, when our lives are lived before the Lord, when our obsession is impressing him with our faith, when our passion is having him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, then I don't care what you think about me. And I tell you, church, you got to rise in the same way. None of this stuff, I don't care what other person on my left or on my right is doing. I tell you, you come and you say, God, I want you to move in my heart today. This is my, this is my longing for you guys. Oh, I pray that every time we would come to service, it would be a hundred people trying to outdo one another to have God's eyes on them. That's always, my, that's always my spirit, my heart. Every time I come to, to the service, I say, God, even if nobody's going after you, I want to go after you with my heart. I want to go, and I tell you, if we do that, we'll have such dynamic breakthrough every single time. But it's more than that. Because I'm praying that God would pour out his spirit on us in a dynamic way. Hear me. This is what I started off saying. We're going to close soon. I want God to pour out his spirit on our church. Even if nobody else wants that, I want that. I want him to pour out his spirit. And I know what happens when he pours out his spirit. Weird stuff starts happening. Demons start manifesting. People start doing weird stuff. And some of the weird stuff is not from God. I know that. I don't care. I want the real thing. I want him to pour out his spirit. I want signs and wonders to start to manifest in a great way. And I'm praying that not only for Thanksgiving Church, but for all the campus fellowships in Southern California. Oh, I pray that you would be one who would be contending in every place in which you put your feet. That you'd say, God, I want you to bring an outpouring of your spirit to this place. We have to be done with Christianity that does not contend for signs, wonders, and miracles. For dynamic conviction of sin where people are radically transformed because God really shows up. That's what we're going after. And then look, if we're just after just a nice church, respectable, I don't want to be a part of it. I challenge you, I challenge you to take on the same spirit. Take it on. 
if nobody follows God in a dynamic way, I'm going to follow God in a dynamic way. If nobody, if nobody's searching the scriptures to get wisdom, I'm going to search the scriptures to get wisdom. If nobody's trying to heal the sick, but the Lord has spoken to me and given me a dream, I'm going to try and heal the sick. I challenge you to follow the Spirit of God and not human leaders in your life. I need to be really careful when I say that. Don't have a rebellious spirit. Have a teachable spirit, but don't be limited by the faith of leaders in your life. Okay? Learn, learn from leaders, right? Obey them when they, when, they, when they command you in the right ways. Obey them, absolutely. But I'm saying don't let their lack of faith get in the way of your pursuit of God. I tell you, that's why David, if, that's why he ran into the troubles that he ran into. Why did David experience such persecution? Because the anointing on his life was so much greater than Saul's. And it stirred up a jealousy within Saul. And Saul was driven to try and smash him down because he felt threatened. I say in the same way, I give you permission as a leader, have more faith than me. Do more miracles than I do. Prophesy in a greater way. Come on, surpass me, church. I dare you in Jesus' name. Where's your team? Get up here.